You are listening to Living for the Cinema with Jeff Gershon. I am a cinema enthusiast of all genres, here to discuss with you one film every episode. The good, the bad, and the ugly of what makes each film unique. And just as a warning, these films might be in theaters now, or they may be from 10, 20, 30 years ago. But regardless, there's a strong possibility that I will be revealing spoilers. I might give away the plot or the ending in this review, so just be warned. The film is Don't Look Up, which came out in 2021 and was directed by Adam McKay. This is not real. This is not real. This is not real. This isn't happening. Kate, uh, tell me this isn't really happening. I hear there's uh, something you don't like the looks of. We discovered a very large comet. Oh, good for you. It's headed directly towards Earth. This comet is what we call a planet killer. At this exact moment, I say we sit tight and assess. Sit tight and assess? Sit tight. And then assess. The sit tight part comes first, and you gotta digest it. That's the assessment period. You know that girl from Live TV said we're all gonna die? No. the FBI put that bag over your head. They don't do that. The CIA does, but I made them do it. You know, I had a feeling. It's a good feeling, because that is what I did, and it was very funny and cool. It stars Jennifer Lawrence, Leonardo DiCaprio, Rob Morgan, Meryl Streep, Jonah Hill, Mark Rylance, Himesh Patel, Kate Blanchett, Tyler Perry, Melanie Linsky, Timothy Chalamet, Ron Perlman, Kid Cudi, and Ariana Grande. The genre would be political satire. Spoiler alert, just to give you the heads up. Off the bat, I have to give mad props to writer-director Adam McKay for even attempting such a loony, ambitious, and no-pulls-punched parable-slash-satire of today's American culture and our collective willful ignorance and or ineffectual attempts towards solving our biggest problems. This film holds a brutal mirror up to what has happened to us over the past several years. The sheer idiocy and misplaced sense of entitlement from many of the most powerful in this country and those who blindly follow them, which we have just witnessed over the past two years during this COVID-19 pandemic, well, it's ripe for mockery. And if nothing else, this film's narrative just pokes and prods and rips at it like a barely formed scab. Uh... Uh, a comet between five to ten kilometers across that we estimate came from the Oort cloud. And using Gauss's method of orbital determination and the average astrometric uncertainty of 0 0.04. Whoa, 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 whoa. I'm so what? bored. Just tell us what it is. Just, what? Seriously, stop. What Dr. Mindy is trying to say is that there's a comet headed directly towards Earth. And then what happens? Like a tidal wave? It will be far more catastrophic. There will, there will be mile-high tsunamis. So how certain is this? There's 100% certainty of impact. Please, don't say 100%. So we just call it a potentially significant event. But it isn't potentially going to happen. 99.78% to be exact. Oh, great. Okay, so it's not 100%. I'm going to call it 70% and let's just, let's move on. But it's not even close to 70%. McKay's screenplay is genuinely biting with its dialogue and quite tense with most of its structure. 
Most of the performances are pretty strong, especially from Jennifer Lawrence as a grad student astronomer who plays both the gravity and absurdity of the story very well. She has the most great lines and several of the best moments. I'm really glad that Lawrence took a few years off before she did this film, as she was at risk of not only overexposure, but also just aging herself up prematurely towards levels just approaching absurdity. I mean, a few years ago, she was playing middle-aged single moms while she was still barely in her mid-20s. It was just getting out of hand. So it's good to see her back on track. Precisely six months, 10 days, two hours, 11 minutes and 41 seconds until a comet twice the size of Chicxulub tears through our atmosphere and extincts all life on Earth. <laughs> when did you do those calculations? At the moment of impact on a diet app. So impact is when my diet ends. And DiCaprio is her co-lead, playing her astronomer professor. And he's pretty good, too. His character is just a bit overdone at times. This is presented as someone with severe anxiety. And given the situation that his and Lawrence's characters find themselves in, showing anxiety makes really perfect sense. The story kicks off with them having discovered a new comet, which is directly headed towards Earth in just over six months. And guess what? It's a planet killer. Who would not be anxious having to relay that information to the world? Unfortunately, we are reminded again and again that he's anxious in none too subtle ways, including a distractingly large patch of beard that his character is saddled with. Just some of the hair work in this movie is weird. And a somewhat breaking Midwestern accent, which drifts too often into whining. It's as if the movie is telling us again and again, you see, folks, this is Leo, but he's a real nerd who's always nervous. I mean, why not just give his character a giant pocket protector while you're at it? But this is a satire, right? So subtlety isn't exactly part of the recipe. The idea is for things to be heightened and for most characters to come off as over the top. And most of the rest of this absurdly stacked cast delivers on that. From Kate Blanchett with her Ainsley Earhart-like vacuousness with super white teeth, to Streep, who is just shamelessly boisterous as the incompetent president, to Tyler Perry's smug bravado as Blanchett's co-host on a fictional TV news morning show called The Daily Rip. I like the title. It's headed directly at Earth, and it really likely will hit. This sounds very, very exciting. Exploding stars, like stars actually explode. So um, how big is this thing? Could it, like, destroy someone's house? Is that possible? Well, Comet Bibiaski, which is what it will officially be named, is somewhere... After her. Yeah, congratulations. Yeah, right, congratulations. It's somewhere between six and nine kilometers across, so... It's big. It would damage the, the entire planet, not just a house. No. The entire planet. Okay, well, as it's damaging, will it hit this one house in particular that's right on the coast of New Jersey? It's my ex-wife's house. I needed to be hit. Can oh, we make that happen? You and Shelly have a great relationship. No, you need to stop. Listen, in all I will, but in all fairness, I actually paid for the defense. house. To Ariana Grande, basically playing herself, a vacant, entitled pop diva, albeit with a different name. And I'll tell you this, though. She does have one really good line early on when she refers to a certain co-star as... Why don't you mind your own business, you old fuck? <laughs> One chief standout among the supporting cast is Mark Rylance, Oscar winner Mark Rylance, who plays a creepy tech billionaire who kind of pulls more strings than you initially think, and he never seems to blink. Beyond that, he just has this unsettling, high-pitched monotone to his voice, which basically reminded me of a male Elizabeth Holmes, but on helium. 
It really is quite a chilling performance, and he does have his share of comedic notes, though often eliciting nervous laughter. Not everyone in the cast shines, unfortunately. Jonah Hill is pretty much one note as the president's son slash chief of staff. Though admittedly it's an often funny note, it just starts to feel a bit repetitive towards the end. And that leads to probably my biggest criticism of this movie. It's just overstuffed with too many characters at times, leading to a very ballsy conclusion which packs some real punch, but also feels a bit drawn out. Spoiler alert, the ending of this movie is about to be discussed. The ending of this movie, the ending of Don't Look Up, is what it needs to be on paper, and it generally works. Yes, we do witness the comet hitting our planet. Most of our major characters are about to die. There's mass destruction, the works. McKay is clearly going for a 21st century version of Dr. Strangelove here, and for the most part, he really succeeds. With strong visual effects from the folks at ILM, or Industrial Light and Magic, the imagery of a planet becoming engulfed in flames and tsunamis, it's convincingly rendered. It's brutal, harrowing stuff to watch. We also spend a significant amount of time with our main leads during their final moments leading up to this, quote, extinction-level event. This includes Rob Morgan in probably the film's most effectively subtle performance as the head of interplanetary defense, whose warnings also fall on too many deaf ears, just like those from Lawrence and DiCaprio's characters. Each actor, each of these actors, has some nice grace notes, and they play these scenes well. It's touching stuff, basically showing how some characters we've been following from the end of this story try to thoughtfully end their last few hours on Earth. But does this belong in this movie? I'm not 100% sure. And that brings me back to Strangelove, which is clearly what this film is aiming to emulate. That film had mostly heightened characters, pretty broad humor, though not all of it landed, and a brutal apocalyptic conclusion, which you just cannot help but be disturbed by. I remember being quite disturbed when I first saw it, no matter how much humor has led up to it. It's an ending designed to knock you on your ass. That's what Kubrick, Stanley Kubrick, was going for. I like this movie, and I appreciate what it's going for as well. But honestly, I'm just not sure if it lands in the same way as Dr. Strangelove, which admittedly is setting the bar kind of high. That movie's considered a classic. One simple reason for this. Dr. Strangelove was barely 90 minutes long, while Don't Look Up runs 135 minutes. Yep, whereas that nuclear montage for the 64 film set to the song We'll Meet Again, it lasted for not even two minutes. Don't Look Up concludes with an extended sequence of chaos and destruction, which goes on for probably at least 20 minutes. We revisit several characters during their last moments, and there are quite a few of them. It starts to feel drawn out, and it probably, well, possibly, loses some of its power. I found myself very affected by what was happening on screen, but I have to be honest, I also found myself at times just admiring the CGI. It's hard for me to fault Adam McKay for this, but it feels like this was a director who found himself fortunate enough to have this massive A-list cast plus top-flight resources to visualize some crazy stuff. And he just had to show all of it. Less is sometimes more. And it feels to me that if a few characters were excised and if about 20 minutes were cut out, Don't Look Up had the potential to be a film for the ages, a true masterpiece. With repeated viewings, as I plan to see this film again, and just so much to chew on, I can honestly see this film going in two directions. It might feel stronger or it might feel more bloated. It's just too soon to tell. As it is right now, having just seen it once in theaters, 
It's a pretty strong movie overall, which kept me engaged throughout, laughing at times, intentionally disturbed at others, and I'm truly grateful that it was made in the first place. That brings me to the categories. The first category would be the best needle drop. This is the best song cue or piece of score used throughout the runtime of the film, because music is essential to film. Nicholas Brattel composed the score for this film. He's an up-and-comer for sure, and has built up quite the track record over the past several years, crafting music for several great movies, including Moonlight, Whiplash, The Big Short, and If Beale Street Could Talk, the latter of which is one of the more emotionally stirring scores I've heard in recent years. Well, with this film, he sort of goes in the opposite direction, crafting a relatively breezy, jazz-infused score, which does get emotional at times, but never gets bombastic. And at some points, the score gets downright bouncy, with fast-paced percussion increasingly dominated by brass, trumpets just cutting loose. One such moment occurs about halfway through when Jennifer Lawrence's character has to suffer what is one of many of several indignities that she endures throughout this story. Her boyfriend, played by Himesh Patel, has broken up with her, very publicly, also throwing her under the bus by writing a quick novel about how he had to endure her lunacy, going along with how she has been already been betrayed in the media as an alarmist. Amazingly, this is all played for biting laughs, and pretty effectively, and it's helped by this very music playing over a montage showing all of this. The track is fittingly called My Boyfriend Broke Up With Me. And that brings me to the next category. And the next category would be Wasted Talent. This is the most underutilized talent involved with the film. Now, I love Ron Perlman, but what is he doing in this movie? He's pretty much playing a one-joke character. He's a heroic military veteran leading the mission to destroy the comet. He's also overtly racist in everything he says. And we are pretty much just left waiting for the punchline. There is no punchline to this. Of all of this film's attempts... At genuinely biting humor, his moments just don't land for me, and he's pretty much wasted. Now back to the conclusion of this movie. We see more than just mass destruction and characters signing off. We also see the world spinning into chaos as this extinction-level event approaches. And wow, there is at least one shot which just made my jaw drop, seeing this in theaters. As I have only seen this on a big screen and I can't rewatch it via streaming yet, I'm not 100% sure that this is what I think it is. But basically, we're panning over a city with rioting in the streets, and the camera takes us briefly over the rooftop of one high-rise where it looks like there is a dimly lit mass orgy or mass suicide or maybe both. Regardless, from a distance, there seems to be a large number of naked bodies possibly draped over each other in some kind of red light. Now, there is really nothing titillating about this. It's just truly disturbing stuff showing effective visualization of society just breaking down, made all the more effective by its vagueness, because I couldn't quite tell what I was looking at. 
Now, does this imagery belong within a rollicking, quote, satire like this is supposed to be? I'm honestly not sure, but it really packs a punch, as do several other shots from outer space, which lead into the closing credits. But among so many other upsetting things in this movie, so many upsetting images, nothing gutted me like that shot of the high-rise rooftop. And that's your trailer moment. And that brings me to the final category, which would be the MVP, the person or people who are most responsible for the success of this film. Once again, I have to tip my hat to Adam McKay for just going for it, resulting in one of the most brutal satires I have ever watched. McKay's best overall film still remains for me The Big Short, which came out about six years ago. And talk about a film which made me laugh at times, but also got me very angry for much of its runtime. This is such a tough balance to pull off. And while I don't think that balance is achieved quite as successfully this time around, he still brings that unique mix to a story that, honestly, in most other hands, could have just been downright unwatchable. This film has a lot of powerful things to say, and that it manages to entertain while doing so is no small feat. I just wish it was tighter and a bit funnier. But given that he was taking on such a large-scale story and that he mostly succeeded, McKay is undoubtedly the MVP. So sorry. I'm sorry. Are we, uh, are we not being clear? We're trying to tell you that the entire planet is about to be destroyed. Okay. okay. Well, it's, um, you know, just something we do around here. You know, we just keep the bad news light. Right. It helps the medicine go down. And speaking of medicine, tomorrow we've got a two Well, maybe the destruction of the entire planet isn't supposed to be fun. Maybe it's supposed to be terrifying and unsettling. Please don't do that. And you should stay up all night, every night, crying. When we're all 100% for sure going to fucking die. My rating for Don't Look Up would be four stars out of five. (laughs) Don't Look Up is not for everyone. Not only does it portray the end of our planet, but there's a lot of biting content, which might just hit too close to home for some people. Seriously, if you have spent any time on Facebook, there is very little irredeemable behavior or insensitive dialogue portrayed in this movie, which seems that far-fetched. Honestly, whether you lean right or left, this movie is just liable to piss you off. And movies or any art form always have the potential to do that. Great art can and should elicit strong feelings at times. This is a strong movie, which I will need to revisit, and I would recommend it for anyone who's prepared to watch it with that emotional component in mind. If you're looking to watch Don't Look Up, it's currently streaming on Netflix. And that ends another earth-shattering review. Please like, subscribe, and share the Living for the Cinema podcast, and follow and like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. And join us next time for another review from Living for the Cinema. Living for the Cinema.